So in the email that I sent out to the community about this evening's talk, I mentioned that I had been reading a sutta that um, has inspired this particular talk. Um, this is from the Sigalavata Sutta, which is the Buddha's advice to Sigalaka. And I enjoy this sutta very much because... Um, well, for a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons is that Sigalaka is a young man who is not ordained, but a lay person. And in the beginning of the sutta, the Buddha and, and he have this really sweet exchange. Um, the Buddha finds him uh, worshipping the, the, the different directions so north, uh, east, west, south, above and below. And the Buddha sees him doing this and notices that he's just not doing it right. And he approaches him and, and asks why he's doing it in this way. And um, uh, and Sigalaka answers by saying he's doing it because his father passed away and on his deathbed, requested that he honor the different directions in his name. And so then the Buddha takes on this very fatherly-like role. Uh, Just the way his tone and the way that he then very thoroughly instructs this young man. And so there's there's a sweetness of connection that's felt through this this particular sutta. And he teaches this young man man, many things about living as a lay person in the world and how to do this in a wise uh, way, in a way that's in alignment with the Dharma, um, but also in a way that um, is very honorable and truthful. And so it is, it's very much like a a father's advice to his young son. And near the end of the sutta, he talks about friendship and the importance of having um, wholesome and true friendship and what that actually means. And he goes into great detail about what to look for um, in true friends and what to, to be cautious of and people who um, may seem like friends, but actually are leading you astray. And so I don't know how many of you have had fathers or adults uh, when you were younger give you that kind of talk, but if you did, you were very fortunate. And if you listened, you were even more fortunate. (laughs) And so it made me think about um, when I was a little bit younger, when I came to the Dharma, and how through practice my understanding of true friendship has really shifted. It's really changed. And so before I get to the sutta, I'm hoping um, you'll, you'll allow me to indulge a bit and share some of my own reflections on um, what I've learned in my own experience, and hopefully it's relatable. Um, when I first came to Dharma practice, it was just before turn, I turned 21. Um, 
So I was 20 years old, and I think at that time of life, we're very much defined by our friendships. And when I think back at it, I recall having many, many, many friends and um, very few true good friends. I think that at the time, the quantity mattered more to me than the quality, which I think sometimes is is true uh, at that age. And when I started to um, get into practice, it was really different from anything anyone I knew was doing. Um, It was really, it was kind of like taking a a sharp right turn um, compared to what I was doing before. A lot of my friends, it was, we had a lot of fun. It was a lot of partying and hanging out and uh, concerts and uh, occasionally smoking pot and drinking booze and all the stuff that I think often comes at that, that time of life. And um, I wanted something different. And so when I found these teachings, um, I knew immediately it was what I was really looking for. And I jumped on the path with full uh, enthusiasm. But it was really hard. I remember it being really difficult as I, it made me reflect on how I was living my life for one and who I was living my life with, who I was surrounding myself with. And I liked my friends, and it wasn't that anyone was telling me to get rid of them or anything, but I started to have discernment, which is something that starts to develop as we start to cultivate our wisdom is this discernment and started to realize that I was surrounding myself with people who didn't really support this um, this type of, of path. Not that they were bad people at all. These were all good people. Um, but perhaps we were all just living in delusion together and uh, not really helping each other further that in any way. So I found that I needed to really protect my practice. And I think this is true perhaps that it... it any stage of life when we come to a practice like this, and if we're really serious about it, um, we find that we have to protect our practice, our mindfulness, our concentration. We're needing to protect all of that. It's really precious. And yet, there are so many influences um, that easily lead us into our old habits. And so um, this protection can be really skillful, actually. But often, um, uh, well, I'll just speak for, from my own experience, um, I put up a lot of protection. <laughs> and so at the time, I, I didn't just cut people off, but I noticed quickly how I just wasn't hanging out anymore. And... Um, I also wasn't inviting people in to see what I was doing. So it it became it felt a bit like a double life that I was and I was slowly schleffing off one of those lives and really choosing a certain direction and it meant losing people that I did genuinely care for. 
And so I share this one because um, although uh, there are a few of you who I think are in your younger years, and so maybe this is um, relatable in that way, I think also uh, as adults I often hear difficulty within relationships, trying to find relationships that are more based in um, the values that come with a practice like this, and that sometimes that's something um, when we are older uh, is is difficult. You know, especially if we have friends we've known for a long time, and you know, it's not that you have to get rid of those friends, but we get um, kind of attached to being with certain people, and this practice starts to open us up in a little bit. Uh, in a, in a way in which we might start getting curious about making new connections that are more in alignment with this type of life. And so in the beginning, it can be really difficult. It can be confusing. Um, it can feel very um, isolating sometimes. These are all words that I've heard from, from practitioners over the years, and identify as being close to my own experience. But then as I continued to practice and and felt more solid in my practice, um, I found that I was able to seek out and really make friends uh, more and more within the communities. I remember... um, the community I started with was Insight um, Meditation Center on the peninsula with Gil Fransdell and Andrea Fella. And um, I was the youngest person there by far, generations, <laughs> I felt like. Um, I was the young, the young person at the time. That's really changed. In fact, I was just down there teaching a retreat for uh, 20 and 30-year-olds. There are many now but I was uh, really one of the onlys then. And so finding friends meant making friends with people who were quite a a bit older than myself. And then when I came to Berkeley, um, I started to meet people my age. I started to realize for the first time that people my age were actually doing this practice and how important that was for me. It was incredibly supportive. Uh, I joined a Kalyanamita group through this community. Kalyanamita means spiritual friends. It's a Pali word, Kalyanamita, spiritual friends. And they are groups, small groups of peer-led groups that get together. Some of them base it around books. Some of them get together and just talk. Some have other interests like the environment or... Uh, social justice, Um, but they get together, and the common denominator is practice. And so I joined one for young adults. And um, it was actually through the relationships of that group that I found my practice deepen tremendously. And it wasn't because we always got along. It was because we didn't always get along. It was because we were willing to uh, take this practice into 
our relationships, into our practice, or into our communication with each other, um, into our disagreements. It was really powerful. Uh, I learned how to be more vulnerable as a person, more open, more honest, uh, authentic through this group. And so we met for about two years. We met uh, every other week at somebody's house for two years. And it was a really um, important time of my practice and kind of propelled my practice forward. So as a lay person, I find that to be an important lesson. Um, just how, uh, how spiritual friendships really matter in a practice like this. We come and we sit and we're quiet and maybe we talk to our neighbor during the break, maybe we don't. Um, maybe we just see people here on Thursdays and then we go home to our lives. You know, it's separate somehow. But if we can start to integrate uh, and, and bring effort to our spiritual friendships and even just making those spiritual friendships, it can be of great benefit to uh, ourselves and into our practice. Even uh, those who decide to ordain, you know, monks and nuns, they live in community, and there's a good reason for that. Uh, the Buddha himself lived in community and was um, often speaking to uh, large groups of monks and nuns who were all trying to live together and do this practice. Um, and not always in harmony. A lot of the lessons come out of uh, just rubbing up against each other's needs and wants and dislikes and preferences and personalities and different habitual behaviors. You know, it wasn't like it was perfect in any way. There was a lot of conflict, but this is, this is where we grow. So I've used this line a few times, but um, I love it. The, the line of Thich Nhat Hanh where he says, um, it's, it's from the muck that the lotus grows. And so we can find that muck easily <laughs> in relationship with each other in a good way, in a really good way. But we have to be willing to do it. We have to be willing to put ourselves in, in that. And that's vulnerable. It's asking us to be, be open. But this is all in the service of, of our happiness, of becoming more aware, more awake. So I'll re- I'd like to read to you um, parts of the sutta, really the parts that are... Um, relate to friendship. So I think what I'll do, there's actually two parts here. The first is the Buddha talking about uh, the enemies disguised as friends and who they are and how to um, get to know who they are. They're different qualities. And then the second part is um, how to recognize good-hearted friends. So we'll start with the first category. I'll just read this out loud. And so as I'm reading it, what I'd like you to do is to sit quietly and and listen in whatever way allows you to really 
take in the words and see if you can recognize these different types. You might recognize them in your friendships right now. Uh, You might recognize them in people you're struggling with right now. You might also recognize these different types within yourself. So just take note as you take this in. So he starts by saying, Young man, be aware of these four enemies disguised as friends, the taker, the talker, the flatterer, and the reckless companion. So it's the taker, the talker, the flatterer, and the reckless companion. The taker can be identified by four things, by only taking, by asking for a lot while giving little, by performing duties out of fear. So shoulds, performing duties out of a should. And offering service in order to gain something. This is the taker. The talker can be identified by four things. By reminding of the past, by reminding of past generosity, uh, promising future generosity, mouthing empty words of kindness, and protesting personal misfortune when called on to help. This is someone who's all talk, in other words. The flatterer can be identified by four things, by supporting both bad and supporting good behavior indiscriminately, praising you for your praising you to your face, and then putting you down behind your back. The reckless companion can be identified by four things by accompanying you in drinking roaming around at night, I think basically up to no good, partying and gambling. That is what the Buddha said. So this is all being recalled as a story. And then it goes on to sum it up in verse. Summing up in verse, the sublime teacher said, the friend who is all take, the friend of empty words, the friend full of flattery, and the reckless friend These four are not friends but enemies. The wise understand this and keep them at a distance as they would a dangerous path. Okay, so we'll just pause there. So we have the taker, the talker, the flatterer, and the reckless friend. What I'd like you to do is get into groups of two. Just turn to somebody next to you, whether you know them or don't know them. It doesn't matter. Um, But go ahead and turn towards them because I'd like you to talk about this a little bit. So you can do that now, and then I'll tell you what you'll talk about. You can turn towards them, introduce yourself if you don't know them. Okay. So, 
tell you now what you're what you'll talk about and you'll just <laughs> you're already going you're already doing it but what I'd like you to discuss and you could just go back and forth in, in a conversation um, is whether or not you struggle with any of these types in your in relationship any of these types really ring true or maybe there's someone right now that you're struggling with where there's that kind of um, I guess that there's that type that's in play. Um, and then also, if you recognize any of these types in yourself, where do, they come, where do they come up? Where do they come through? What type of relationships do you see them pop up? Okay. So we'll just take um, maybe three minutes. Make sure that each of you gets to say something. Okay? And I'll ring the bell after three minutes. How many of you need more time? Like another minute? Okay, let's do another minute. So you can finish your sentence and then stay with your, your partner. Uh, you can stay with them because we'll do the next set here in a minute. Uh, but before we do move on to it, I'd love to hear if there was... Yeah, I'd love to hear what you came up with. Jackie, do you mind? Okay, great. Thank you. For myself, I was finding, uh, we were talking about what do you see in yourself. and I find myself to be kind of overly a flatterer. Uh-huh. Although I hope I don't do the stabbing in the back later, but um, something I can work on. Yeah, great. Thank you. No. <laughs> Hi, I was partnering partnering with Julia and Yeah. I, I was partnering right. with Julia and uh I thought of a time where I was very close with a group and our energy was totally manic. Uh but it was a lot of fun, you know. In a way, it was superficial because we never had talks with each other about friendship or um, sometimes we had heart-to-heart, but um, uh, basically not. And as I reflect on that, I just have a deep, actually, love for every one of them. And uh, even though we don't see each other anymore, I ran into one uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were just so happy to see each other, and one of these days we'll uh, catch up with each other. Nice. Thank you. Anything else? <laughs> yeah, right here. So I think family can come up when you start talking about friends and relationships, and just that interesting fact of like uh, no one will blame you for distancing yourself from a friend, but how do you navigate those relationships within family, which uh, I feel like a lot of people behave in those four types largely unconsciously. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So how do you navigate a relationship that you want to keep um, and and still recognize that maybe there's a, a trait within the whole family that kind of everyone suffers from? Yeah. Um, so Thank that, you. Yeah, that's a yeah, family. That's actually even in my notes, and I forgot to mention it. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Often, not every family is that way, but most of us have at least somebody in the family where you just like, oh, man. You know, and they know where the buttons are, or they don't know where the buttons are, but just, you know, they have the patterns that get us every time. And there is something about family where you have a, that long of a history with someone or a group of people and sometimes it, you could be doing this practice a long time and it just takes one of those people that kind of relationship to bring you right back out to pre practice <laughs> like maybe as, like maybe really far back to unskillful, like really serious unskillfulness. And it, so oftentimes I think of family as being some of our most advanced practice. Um, <laughs> and for some of you, it might be that you have people who are really harmful in your family and you've had to have that distance. And that's been really good for you and healthy for you. So sometimes that's, a truth. Sometimes that's what's needed. And then others of you, it's just, they just kind of dig under your skin and, and, um, you might have to protect for a little while the way you interact with those particular people. Maybe you, um, make your phone calls to them at, at, uh, the times of the day where you know that they're sober or when you know that, um, they won't be as stressed um, maybe even returning a phone call a few days later if you get frantic phone calls from somebody and it's a pattern and you just know, give them a couple days and, uh, and they'll calm down. This is, some of this is coming from my own experience. Um, so it's just the way we have to sometimes, especially in the beginning of practice, but even along the way at different points, depending on our capacity, so some of what we're doing here is is paying attention to what is our capacity to stay present, to uh, stay in alignment with wise speech and wise action. What is our true capacity? And that capacity changes depending on the relationship, right? Um, so becoming very aware, it becomes part of our consciousness, part of our practice of knowing, you know, where is can I really keep it together right now in this moment with this particular person? And then you might choose accordingly <laughs> what you do next. But it is, it can be some of our most advanced practice is with family. And sometimes when we can, when we can stay with those types of relationships, we can just stay with it even from afar, even if we have someone way at a distance because they're really harmful, but we're working through uh, maybe compassion practice or even forgiveness practice from afar. Uh, if we can stay with these types of relationships instead of like pushing the anger down or the hurt down or the hate down from them, 
if we can stay with it. Wow, a lot of insight, a lot of awakening can happen. A lot of freedom can happen. But there's, there, it, it can take a lot of time sometimes, a lot of self-compassion, just a steadiness, a willingness. And not just family, but our, our partners, our intimate relationships too, right? Um, there's a lot of practice there. <laughs> Somebody who we've been intimate with and we've been um, fully seen in some ways that other people haven't seen. And then there's conflict. Sometimes that's, that's the most hurtful the people who we, we've trusted really deeply or we've let in really deeply. And then there's been some, some rub, right? Um, how do we stay in that type of contact and relationship um, and, and keep working through it in a practice-based way? It's very possible. Yeah. Oftentimes these different... Uh, these. Well, they're called enemies. I'm putting quotation marks around them. Um, sometimes they're the people who are most the closest to us and the people who matter the most to us. So it's right where the practice is, right, right there at the edge of it. Okay, how about one more? And then we'll move to the... Okay, I guess it's going that direction, Stephen. <laughs> Um, I think what I hear some people saying and what I hear you saying implicitly, I wanted to make it explicit that I think we're talking also about not just a person who is that type, but that people can drift in and out of these types, ourselves and even people whom we value a lot, our close friends. At some times, they are takers or talkers or, or, you know. That's right. And so... It's navigating that stuff, you know, that's, that can be tricky. And as you were saying, like, you know, contacting a person at a time when you don't think they're going to be in, in that type or yeah. something like that. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for making that explicit. <laughs> so let's, um, let's go to the next category, which is the good-hearted friends. Um, so I'll, again, I'll just do it in the same way. I'm going to read it out loud. Take it in. Think about how you recognize this in your own friendships. Maybe there's one of these categories that's missed in your life right now. It's good to be aware of that. And then very important to notice how do we um, bring these types through our relationships? Where, where, do, where are we navigating these and, and what are we bringing to the table? Um, sometimes that's the hardest to recognize. It's just um, our own goodness in friendship. So he says, young man, be aware of these four good-hearted friends, the helper, the friend who endures in good times and bad, the mentor, and the compassionate friend. So again, it's the helper, the friend who endures, the mentor, and the compassionate friend. The helper can be identified by four things, by protecting you when you are vulnerable, 
and likewise your wealth, being a refuge when you are afraid, and in various tasks providing double what is requested. This is the helper. The enduring friend can be identified by four things. By telling you secrets, guarding your own secrets closely, not abandoning you in misfortune, and even dying for you. That's the enduring friend. The mentor can be identified by four things, by restraining you from wrongdoing, guiding you towards a good action, telling you what you ought to know, and showing you the path to freedom. And then lastly, the compassionate friend can be identified by four things. By not rejecting in, oh, sorry, by not rejoicing in your misfortune, delighting in your good fortune, preventing others from speaking ill of you, and encouraging others who praise your good qualities. That's the compassionate friend. And then again, it's summed up in verse. The friend who is a helper, the friend through thick and thin, the friend who gives good counsel, and the compassionate friend. These four are friends indeed. The wise understand this and attain, attend on them carefully like a mother her own child. That last line is interesting to me because a very similar line is in the Metta Sutta, uh, the Loving Kindness Sutta, to protect as a mother her only child. Um, so really pointing to the value of this. Of what, to what extent are we protecting these types of relationships? To what extent... Are we recognizing their value and putting our energy, good energy, into those types of friendships? Or do we take them for granted? So again, turn towards your partner. And this time, I'd like you to talk a bit um, about this, this uh, grouping. Um, where do you recognize these types of friends? Where are they? Which one is lacking? That might be something that came up as you listened. And then uh, how do you recognize these types in yourself? Or do you recognize them in yourself? Okay, and you can just, again, go back and forth. I'll give you four minutes this time. That seemed like... Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. And I always, I have to look too, make sure I get them all. So it's the helper, the friend who endures in good times and bad times, the enduring friend... Uh, the mentor, and the compassionate friend. Okay. So you can turn to your partner and, and discuss that. Saying, I'll give you a few more seconds for that. Okay. Go ahead and thank your partner. Okay. So what what came through on that one? The good-hearted friend. 
Notice what it's like to talk about one group and then the other. <laughs> Does it have a different feel to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lighter. It's joyful. So what came up for me was, and us, Lee and I, was talking about how um, with old, deep relationships, they can be, they can trigger us mm-hmm. really easily mm-hmm. and function almost like, like in the same way that family does because it's that deep relationship. And the challenge, of the other, another kind of taking for granted is like with a spouse, focusing on like the irritants Right. That can be the flip side, that can be the shadow side of the good qualities that that you love in them. But that yeah. being focusing on that as a as a form of taking for granted. Yes. So, I'm so glad you said that. Um Yeah, isn't that what we often do? I I know I've done it in my own relationship where and usually it really where it's coming from when it's the naggy thing it's not just somebody's being harmful in the relationship but it's just certain things that you thought were so sweet or you know kind of charming about the person in the beginning of the relationship start to it's like nails on a chalkboard or something like that or it just starts to wear on you a little bit or maybe there's certain parts of the personality that seemed more forgivable, but then as time goes on, they're not so forgivable. And we do. We get really zoomed in, focused on that. And I find that it usually starts with my own lack. You know? Like there's something not quite right within myself. Or maybe it's mirroring something that I don't really want to look at in myself. Our, our partners are, are good at that. That's what we do for each other. But if we're unconscious of that, it can start to then be turned. Uh, our whole view of that person can, can, can turn to where we just see the things that annoy us or are wrong that should be different. We get in this very aversive state which is very corrosive, I would say, to a relationship if you stay there, if you don't realize what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I d- I've, I've caught myself in that patterning. And it's, uh, it's so relieving to catch it. You know, if we, if we can put our ego aside and catch it and be honest with ourselves, what we're really doing um, it can be such a relief. But it does mean we have to, you know, not feed that story. Sometimes there's something about that that makes us feel better about ourselves when the other person we care about isn't doing so well. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> I mean, it takes a lot to maybe even admit that. So we have to let go of those stories. Um and be willing to do that. But once we do, it's such a relief to see, oh, that's all that's happening right now. This has way more to do with me, 
once it has more to do with you, there's something you can do about it, actually. So, yeah. Thank you. Anything else come up? Okay. So, these guidelines for choosing friends or for um, discerning who to, you know, the relationships to cultivate or the ones that you want to um, protect yourself from, this is really helpful. And I think it evolves. Our understanding of what this teaching is evolves with our practice. And at some point, that protecting that we're doing um, we get more and more skilled at it. We're not a lo- we don't have to throw up um, these kind of separation walls between us and other people we find might throw us off. Over time, I think um, what happens in spiritual development is we, we know where our feet are. We know where we stand. We know who to go to when we need, to, need a reality check. Um, we have the skill to be with some of these more uh, tricky, um, tricky friendships, or or maybe just outright uh, difficult, even even uh, somewhat uh, abusive or taxing relationships. We learn how to navigate those with more skill in a way where it's not just so knee-jerky, but rather we end up becoming more fluid within these relationships. Because unless we decide to uh, barricade ourselves um, in a room somewhere, we're going to find all of these people, all of these types, I'll say. They're not really people. All of these types out there. And even if we did barricade ourselves in, we'd have to confront our ourself, <laughs> which might be sometimes even worse, right? So through, I think, the development of practice and through relationship, as we bring uh, practice and relationship together, we learn ultimately how to stay firm in our, in our practice and in our path while staying open to to everybody, to start to see that the difficult uh, types is is suffering, is somebody's suffering, that we can start to relate it not with oh I gotta stay away from that, but suddenly we can move towards it. What can I do? We become the mentor, the compassionate one, the helper the enduring friend, where our capacity grows to where we lean in to some of these relationships where we didn't have that capacity before, including relationships like our family, right? Our most difficult sometimes people. Um, So that's where this is going. It's not necessarily about pushing away you might have to in the beginning, but really where it evolves is a leaning in, bringing people into our hearts and into our minds. The fear uh, 
dissolves. We can be more connected with people more than, more than we've ever been. It's really, I think, um, a beautiful prospect that we can aspire to through these practices. Not to be afraid to integrate this more and more into your social, uh, relational lives. It's all part of it. And the Buddha really recognized that. Or actually, throughout the suttas, uh, many comments of the importance of friendship. When we said the chant at the very beginning, we're taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, which is the teachings of the Buddha, and the Sangha. Taking refuge in, in each other, in the wisdom of others how important that is, that it actually has place as one of the three refuges where we can, we can go to for refuge. So we can't do this practice all on our own. We're really not meant to, I think. Maybe there's a few that make it by, but I don't know. I don't really buy it. <laughs> I think we need each other to get through this. So... I think I'll leave it there. Um, yeah, I'm going to leave it there. So I hope that that was, that was helpful, that it inspires you to start thinking about this more in your, in your relationships. So we'll now just take a moment to close by dedicating the time that we spent together, practicing together, uh, exploring this theme together, that we dedicate whatever ripples of wholesomeness, goodness, that it might go into the world and be for the benefit for all beings here to these people. And then, just as the teachings of the Buddha uh, brings us closer and closer to each other to be able to uh, melt these walls, these protection mechanisms. We can start to extend our merit out to all beings everywhere, the ones we agree with and the ones we find really difficult the ones who are seen by us and the ones who are not seen by us. May it go in all the directions and be for the benefit of all. May all beings everywhere be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be happy and content in their lives. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their bodies. May all beings be free. May all beings be free. Thank you for being here and for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit 
dharmaseed.org slash donate.